Okay. This is the Theology Matters podcast. I'm Josh Malden. I'm here today with Martin Rodermacher, who is a professor. Um, well, actually, I'll let you say say exactly what you are at the University of Bochum, uh, but you have a, a number of roles uh, there as a researcher. Um, welcome to the podcast, Martin. Thanks, Josh. It's a, it's a pleasure that, to be here. Well, thanks. You were you were in our. Uh, workshop on religion in the built environment in 2020-2021, which was fully a, a digital remote uh, workshop because of the pandemic, obviously. So we haven't met in person, but it's great to see you see you again in this format. And uh, maybe start by saying a bit about your own uh, bio, how you got interested in um, this field, study of religion, uh, and the built environment. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks. It was a great experience to be at this workshop at the CTI, even if it was only a digital workshop. And um, it's great to see you again. So let, let me say a few words about myself. Um, I studied um, cultural anthropology and the, the comparative study of religion at the University of Münster. Um, just out of a very general interest in the way societies and religions and cultures work. Um, and in the course of my studies, I specialized in what they call the body churn in the study of religion, meaning the field of how religions and the human body interact and intersect. And this is why I um, did my PhD studies about evangelical dieting and fitness programs in the United States. And they have, I'm pretty sure you know some of them, they have these uh, fitness programs and they often have some sort of theology of the body, a, a theology focusing on the body and its fitness and its health. And um, well, this was a very interesting and very, very fruitful field of research. And then from there, after I, I had like finished my PhD, um, I turned somehow to the architectural bodies, you know, houses, places, buildings, cities, built spaces. Um, and these may at first sight be quite different compared to human bodies because they don't act in the same ways they don't um, have a sensory apparatus but they also are some sort of actor in a very different way of course um, now and this brought me to the field of religion architecture religion and the built environment and this is also when i um, then came to the university of bochum where we have this large um, center for religious studies, an interdisciplinary um, forum actually for studies in religion. And I was in different roles, a research associate, a professor, and um, I'm, I've now turned into the more administrative department of this um, institute, but I'm still very close to all sorts of different research projects and still doing my own research in the fields I mentioned. How did you get interested in this uh, study of evangelicals and their theologies of the body in the U.S.? I mean, I, I assume from what we talked about before, you actually came to the U.S. and were, you know, doing some sort of ethnographies. Yeah. Um, and how did you, because yeah. I actually, I, I'm not actually very familiar with, 
with those movements, yeah. even yeah. even living here. <laughs> I don't know much about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just like with, with so many other research um, topics, the, the first like um, curiosity uh, um, arose from a very superficial um, 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 discovery that there are these sorts of programs. I, I remember some group called the Power Team. Oh, yes, I have and heard they, of that. Yeah, they were performing very, very impressive features of <laughs> like brute force ending irons, etc. But they doing it very intentionally for the praise of God. Um, so this was some some sort of, it was bizarre in a way. It was very interesting, very curious. There was something about it I couldn't understand. So, and this is actually what made me read about it, what made me do more research, find more of these groups, and then actually go to the United States and meet these people and, and talk to them. Even I, I even, well, attended their fitness groups. I did sports with them to really like get an idea what they do and why they do this and what it means to them spiritually on their spiritual path. Interesting. Well, maybe turning to a couple of the articles that you sent me, which relate more to the architecture side, your, your later work moving into that area. I won't go over the articles, but I'll put them in the show notes so people can read them. Um, Basically, the two articles, what I find interesting is both of them, uh, these recent publications of yours, you're talking about how the, uh, in Germany and Europe, perhaps more broadly, as as some churches have become less and less used, they've actually repurposed those buildings, deconsecrated them, um, made them into for other sort of uses. So maybe talk about that and, you know, the the Mm -hmm. background of that, what led to that and, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Well, the conversion of church spaces in, in Germany and Europe is a very huge debate. Um, and it's also leading to, to, to well discussions about the role of church architecture, of church buildings in cities. And um, I did one very detailed study about a church in the, in the town where I live, actually, in Münster, the Dominican church. And this church um, has been taken out of liturgical use. It was a Catholic church before. Um, It was taken out of liturgical use and it was transformed. It was converted into an exhibition space. And it now um, 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 houses uh, an art installation by the famous artist um, Gerd Richter, a Foucault pendulum. Um, And I... I did a case study about this process of conversion, actually to understand better the um, like the semantic dispositions, the the um, meaningful uh, or the possibilities of meaningful embedding of this building in a city. Um, so when this church was taken out of liturgical use, when it was deconsecrated. Um, they had a ceremony and they said, it's not a church anymore, full stop. But interestingly, this place still has some sort of aura, you could say, or atmosphere you know, of a church. It is still addressed as some sort of spiritual place. And this sort of quality of the building um, is one of the reasons why Gerhard Richter um, chose the place for this installation. 
and now tourists come there it's an art exhibition but they still say well it has some sort of church-like atmosphere there's something spiritual in here and this makes us appreciate the um, the art even more so in the end i, I would like to, um, my my basic argument is that a church building can be many things it's not just a church once and for all but it always depends on the like a process in time a transformation in time and on the other hand the building carries some sort of semantic weight you could say or it carries connotations it carries possibilities and these possibilities can be activated can be used can be changed in later um, um, phases of its um, of its well actual usage are buildings like that that have been deconsecrated are they ever used for sort of various rituals such as a, a wedding or a funeral for example uh, by sort of more secular society i'm just curious it it, it happens sometimes but um the churches are very aware of the fact that they um that the church buildings are somehow they are um a part of their corporate identity it's not the right term but um so they try to prevent a secondary use which is very close to, to liturgical use. We like to argue, well, if you want a church wedding, you need to use a full liturgical church place. I know that it sometimes happens, I think in the Netherlands and in other countries, but it, it hasn't occurred to me very often in Germany. I was partly thinking about, you said that there's, there's a lot of debates about this, um, mm -hmm. the repurposing of, of churches. What are some of the sort of sides or aspects of that deba debate? These uh, debates often arise for churches that are, well, they aren't used very often. And, you know, the, the members, membership um, numbers of the churches in Germany are in decline. And then suddenly a church community understands that they cannot afford their building anymore. But then suddenly there is some sort of action in the neighborhood. So people saying, well, we have so much, uh, it's part of our local community. It's part of our cultural heritage. It's, it might even be architecturally relevant to our community. And then there is sometimes, not always, but sometimes there is a, move, a movement in the community starting trying to save this church, even by those people who never went there, who never attended service, actually. And this is a sort of interesting uh, observation, I think, because it shows that church buildings in cities and in neighborhoods have this function of providing identity or providing some sort of, I don't know, architectural icon, even that, that sort of anchor for a community. Right. Well, maybe changing gears, um, let's talk a bit about your, this, the project you did at CTI uh, during our workshop, maybe just talk yeah. a bit about the, the general contours of that, where you're going with it uh, going forward and so on. It might seem that I have a tendency to to tackle the difficult concepts because in the CTI workshops, I try to approach the idea of dignity, dignity and space or dignified spaces. And just like atmosphere, dignity is a very, it's very difficult to grasp. It's, it's a vague term. It's hard to define but nonetheless i think it's worth our attention and um, for the cti workshop i tried to understand a bit more 
the um, connections or the relations of spaces and dignity, dignified spaces. Um, and the basic idea here is that first, dignity, of course, is a fundamental value. It's a very fundamental notion in most, if not all, contemporary societies. And on the other hand, this sort of idea, this value is always made present in architecture or in built environments, in cityscapes. And then sometimes we can uh, observe that there is a lack of dignity in some spaces and some built arrangements or built environments. And in other instances, we might observe that there is like lots of dignity or present or that people can actually appropriate space that they can develop in self-determined ways. Um, so basically I tried to, to understand or to analyze built spaces, built environments in terms of their possibility to provide dignity or to impede, to restrict dignity. And on that point, how do you think about the built environment from a perspective on the study of religion? I know you, you said you'd prefer to talk about it as a religious studies perspective, not a theological one. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe you can even unpack what you mean by that distinction or how you think about that distinction. But, but more broadly, how do you sort of approach this topic of the built environment as a scholar of religion? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as a scholar of comparative religion, I'm, I'm working in a line of thinking that is extending our idea of an actor, as I mentioned at the beginning. Um, and scholars, not just in the study of religion, in other fields of, of cultural and social um, studies, have um, begun to understand that the social world is composed of more than just human actors. And um, of course, this forces us to redefine our understanding of the actor. And um, by saying that, for instance, architecture or built environments have an agency or are actors, I don't suggest that they are just like humans. They don't act intentionally, of course. They, they don't have a... a they don't have feelings, they don't have a mind or anything, but they um, influence social processes. Um, they make a difference, of course, sometimes very, very um, um, explicit. There's a wall and you can't cross a street, they make a difference. And in that sense, in that definition, I approach the built environment as something that has an agency. And now from the specific perspective of religious studies or study of religion, um, it's very interesting to see how built spaces and architecture make a difference for religious settings, for religious processes. Because it's not just human beings and it's not just like ritual or liturgy or not, it's even not just mythological ideas. Um, it's also, the simple built places, the places people build for their religious practices that make a difference in these social arrangements. Now that we've been, I think we're, yeah, we're back a full year uh, since the workshop ended back in May of 2021. Now it's May 2022, believe it or not. Over the past year, what are some of the ideas from the workshop that you've, and we can take this as a kind of last question, 
what are some of the ideas that have kept coming back to you? You've been thinking about again, you took away from the conversation perhaps so that have still been uh, in your mind this past year. Actually, I've been thinking about this workshop very often in this last year because first of all, it was just a very friendly, very constructive atmosphere, very, very good experience in an academic learning and, and um, conversation. And um, more specifically, what I, what I still take from the workshop is that the interdisciplinary perspective on a common um, object of research is very, very fruitful. We, we had, as you know, um, theologians, architect, architects, um, historians, etc., in the workshop. And then I think what, is, what might even be most important is that it made me aware of the intersections of quite different spheres of society in the built environment. Um, meaning that um, the built environment is like in, at the, I don't know, at the crossroads or in the middle of, in the intersections of hmm. political, theological, economic thinking. And they all somehow make their impression on or make, make something with built environments. But on the other hand, the hmm. built environment is not just a mute um, stage, it somehow acts back. And this is, I think, what, what we learned from all the different case studies and from the research by our colleagues. Absolutely. Well, it's been great to have you on the podcast to reconnect, Martin, and I hope we can uh, keep reconnecting in the coming months. As I said, in the show notes for this episode, I'll put the two recent articles that you uh, published so people can read those and uh, follow along with what you're doing going forward. So thanks a lot, Martin. Yeah, great. Thanks, Josh.